Yeah, Nolan? In typical Two Twins in an Album fashion, I don't know what episode number it is, so maybe you can fulfill your typical role and enlighten me. It is episode number uh, 74, I believe, buddy. Episode 74. I was trying to think earlier, do you recall the date of our first episode? Because I was thinking we've got to be, are we like tracking on two years, maybe? Not that I can recall. Yeah, right. (laughs) Obscure JFK line. Very super, good, obscure JFK. Super, super obscure. Uh, uh, yeah, it's got to be. I think we. I think we started in April of 2020. Does that sound right? That sounds right. It was like heart o pandemic. Yeah, we were we were right in the thick of it. Yeah. Let me look. <laughs> Let me see if there's any clues here. See, the upload date on episode zero is August 21st, 2020. But I think you re-uploaded everything. We were in the heart of the pandemic, and now things are way better. <laughs> <laughs> Can we go back to the pandemic? Things were a little easier. No kidding. You know what? Hey, I gotta say, you know what? Tonight, uh, the name of tonight's album, Empire. You know, you know what that reminds me of? What's that? Juicy Smoulier. <laughs> you know, the, one of the great things if you go back. I don't know about you, man. Sometimes. Like when I'm just feeling a little blue, I go back and watch that TV interview he did. Was it Robin Roberts? I think. Yeah. ABC news, Robin Roberts, the, the hard hitting interview. Yeah. Where he's just coming up with the most ridiculous story, you know, and this was still early, you know, he was still thinking he had some, some believers. And I remember one of the really funny things about it. Speaking of empire was the, um, the attackers, you know, that he's talking about, right? The first thing they say to him um, when he's like walking down the street at 2 a.m. to go get Subway sandwiches, Subway sandwiches, sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> and the first thing they, they say to him is, hey, yo, Empire. And it's funny because in the interview, he's like, my name's not Empire. Like, I don't answer to that, you know. But what's really funny is like, if you're on a TV show, right? You know, and it's not like Empire was cheers right like if you're on a show that's like medium well known and somebody on the street at two o'clock in the morning recognizes you like you're you're like honored you know you're like pumped it's like come take a picture with me you know i always thought that was funny because it's like dude if somebody like if i was walking down the street and somebody was like two twins in an album yeah i'd be i'd cry you know i'd be uh, <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> you know? it's funny because he's like you know, you know that if somebody recognized him on the street, that guy would love it. So it's like right from the beginning when he's telling that story that that was actually before it got to any of the actual like getting fake beat up stuff. I was already like, that's just not true. 
Like there's a, there's a you know. <laughs> but you got that far and realized that it wasn't true? <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that that really closed the deal for me. You, you know? hung in longer than most, yeah. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. Well, and, and, and as you and I have had our twice a day phone calls this week, pretty regularly you've thrown in a, uh, my name at Empire. You know? <laughs> <laughs> there was a time where Queen, Queensryche was tabloid fodder pretty close to Juicy Smollett as they were uh, trying to figure out a few things. This band is full of rather interesting storylines that we'll talk about in the Wonder Stories. There's a theme for tonight, T. Theme of the episode. Hmm. You know, T, you know, when I lead a show, you always have a theme. Theme for today's show, being too good for your own good. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Just things that are just too good for their own good. Yeah. I think I know where you're going with that one, buddy. You want to hear a few things that I, I, in my opinion, are too good for their own good? Sure. I mean, there's tons of bands. I think you and I could have a whole conversation around bands that are like so good that like you just knew the thing would never last. Like so good that it backfires on them, you know? Yeah. Like, like Oasis. Let's just like, that's one of the classic ones to me. I wouldn't, like, have, said, I wouldn't have said them. I love oh, really? Oasis. No, they, they play like basic chords. I mean, they're, they're, you know, you, do you mean like technically good or do you mean just like a good band? I wouldn't say technically has to be part of it because okay. there's lots of forms of good. Okay. We, I mean, Noel Gallagher, one of the best songwriters, I think of our generation. Yeah. Amazing. Liam right. Gallagher, incredible front man. It's such okay. a powerful band live. I, I thought you were saying like too good, like too skilled, which obviously these guys are, but okay. Yeah, Cause, yeah, cause I, I mean, wasn't about to say that Oasis is particularly skilled. <laughs> Well, certainly some of the guys, but I mean, yeah, but, but I guess the point is that Oasis was so good. They were such a good band. You just knew this was not going to last. There was a self implosion that would happen, you know? So, um, here's, here's a couple other ones. You ready? This is outside of bands. We could talk about music forever. No, too good for their own good. The 2008 New England Patriots, probably the best football team in the history of the NFL. They went 16 and 0 race through the playoffs and like one of the biggest upsets of all time lost to the New York giants and Eli Manning, like on this really ugly game. The guy it, caught the ball off his helmet. Right. Who, who was it? It was, oh, a, it wasn't, it was sort of a medium guy. Like it wasn't like a star. Uh, he was from LSU. I think. Yeah. I know the exact player to mom, the helmet catch, the helmet catch David was, uh, something. Oh, David Tyree, David Tyree. Yeah. Did he go to LSU? Was I right about that? Didn't he play for Michigan? No, no, no. Oh, that's David Terrell. Someone that good would never play at Michigan. Yeah, no kidding. He actually played at Syracuse. Oh, okay. Wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, right. Exactly. So, yeah. So, the 2008 Patriots, right? Like, one of the best teams of all time. So good that they, like, too good for their own good. Blew it in the Super Bowl. Completely choked. So almost but, like the, the theme is like something that sort of swells up so much that it pops. Is that yes. kind of where you're going? Okay. Yes. All right. I get it. All right. Too good for its own good. Quiznos. <laughs> the commercials were too good. You took one bite into a Quiznos sandwich. You're like, this will not last. We love the subs. Yeah. I mean, it was so, it, their, their sandwiches were so good. It was like, this will not last. This place will fall apart. You know they what I mean? They got a pepper bar. Too good for its own good. Fell right. apart. Gone. 
I think there's actually one in Florida. <laughs> I saw one at the airport in Florida. It's the first one I've seen in forever. They have like five left. Exactly. Yeah. 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 But I mean, their, their food was incredible, but it was like, there's no way they can keep this going. It's too good. Mm. You know, mm-hmm. here's another one. Ready? The big Lebowski is a box office flop. I mean, it's, it, you know, since become a cult movie way too good for its own good. Oh, okay. Okay. Yep. You know that's what I good. mean? Yeah. That's a good one. Almost like so good that most people don't get it. And therefore it's not going to be successful. Here's another, this is a recent discovery in the world of comedies. Hmm. You know, Todd Berry comedian. Yeah, I, I watched that thing you told me to watch where he does all the crowd work is pretty yeah. good. Yeah. He's like too good for his own good. Like someone yeah. that good can't be that famous. Actually the one, the, the part in every, anybody out there who hasn't seen it, you should watch it. It's, it's, it's Todd Berry. It's like a compilation of him just doing crowd work. Actually, it may have been a tour where he was just doing crowd work. It's like a short tour, like six yeah. shows. Yeah. The, my favorite part is, I won't spoil it, but when he's talking to the two guys that are in the band with, with, the, <laughs> yeah. with the mustaches. Incredible. <laughs> I know. It's amazing. But he, he's like, he's like so good that it's like, this guy can't yeah. be huge. You know? Yeah, he's really smart. Yeah. That's kind of what I think about with tonight's band. So good. You just knew this was going to end badly and boy, did it. And we'll get into that. I can't wait to hear about, I didn't know that there was sauciness to this story. I'm I'm excited to hear it. You probably didn't know that there was a long period of time where there were two Queens Rikes. No, I was unaware of that as well. (laughs) There's a, there's a whole story that we'll get into. Well, they're so good. They did it twice. I guess. (laughs) There you go. They're too good for their own good. You got it, Ben. You got it. We'll get into that in the nerdy deeds under cheap. But first, I want to find out what you, T, have been listening to as we take episode 74 round and. All right, T, three records that you've been listening to. Three records. Dude, I might have to give more than three. It's been a big week, uh, week for me of, of new releases and stuff. And. I just ordered like a whole like 10. I still buy CDs, you know, I I just ordered like 10 CDs of either like recent releases or new releases. So I'll eventually get to those, but I might have to just go a couple more than three if that's okay. And I'll, and I'll, and I'll be quick. I won't, I won't, I won't uh, lag it out here. So uh, Sparks put out some reissues on vinyl. Thank God. Finally, this is uh, these, these were all their releases from 2000 on BMG put out a nice, you know, updated um, pressing of balls, uh, little Beethoven, hello, young lovers. And, uh, and then they're going to put out the Ingmar Bergman piece, which I know uh, you probably would be uh, interested in or nonetheless appreciative of. So building up the, my sparks vinyl collection, which really hadn't been properly built because their catalog is a little messy and all over the place. Uh, the second thing is is a Fania selection because you know summertime I get I hit Fania pretty hard and uh, this is Mango Santa Maria. Uh, the record is called Sofrito and you'd like it, Nubs, because there's a nice there's like a nice pan uh, overheat on the cover with cooking up some Mexican food. So like there's like ingredients all chopped up and like this you know this concoction in this pan and then like a mixing spoon. Like it's so you know if nothing else, it's a album cover i know you would enjoy be honest that's like 85 percent why you bought it i can't really tell what they're making it looks like maybe there's some tomatoes and some cilantro and some onions and some chicken but um 
you know, just, it sounds delightful. Yeah. 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 Well, it's also a great record, you know, uh, mostly, mostly instrumental, good stuff. And then the third Are you bringing is, that up just because today is Cinco de Mayo? Oh, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe uh, unconsciously I did that, but yeah, that's right. I, I totally forgot about that. Um, by the way, how was your talk? You had a family taco party. Did you not? We did. Yeah. Every year we have a family taco party. Yeah. How'd that go? It was great. Our, our girls, for whatever reason, they just love Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they know more about Cinco de Mayo than they do. Like, you know, like our own Independence Day. <laughs> yeah. nice um the third is well i'll go with the good one the third the new block party record is called alpha games and it's good it's good it's a nice top to bottom listen you know that band's great they just you, you sort of never know exactly what direction they're going to go or what you're going to get but it's still a consistent um sound and a consistent concept you know which it has been from the beginning so i i love that band i don't know if you're a fan but they, i think they just you know i mean some have been better than others they're doris in a way but they've been pretty consistent about putting out good um good records the fourth one i just got to mention because i know we we will probably spend a second talking about it what is the deal with on the deal here with these good bands that go festival rock and just ruin themselves. And this one is especially heartbreaking because not only is it uh, a band that once was great, but it's a, it's a sequel to a, a record that was amazing. And that's our lady pieces, spiritual machines too. And it's just, I don't awful. even know why you, I heard five seconds of the lead song and I was like, uh, uh-uh. like, it's just awful. It's yep, just awful. It's, it's terrible. A, to even call it spiritual machines too is awful. Like I actually was kind of excited because you know, their last few albums have sucked, but I was like, maybe they're doing this because it's a little bit of a stripped down sort of return to having a drummer and things like that. And no, it's like, I mean, it's completely produced out and completely, you know, it's like no acoustic drums and whatever heartbreaking. Anyway, that was, that was my fourth. I'll stop there. But, uh, and, and by the way, Our Lady Peace hasn't made a good album in like the last four. Yeah. So it's, yeah. whatever. Ever since Jeremy Tiger left the band, they're just, it's not Our Lady, Our Lady Peace. I don't even consider yeah. it. It's like, whatever. Yeah. I totally agree. Still totally adore agree. the first few albums, of course, but like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we did the, we did the clumsy episode early on in the show and, uh, you know, it's a band that, you know, certainly we both uh, have a lot of love for, but. Boy, are they bad now. Anyway, not to end it on a sour note, but that's what's round and round for me, buddy. How about you? First one for me is uh, the new album from Steve Hackett, the Genesis guitarist Surrender of Silence is what it's called. I went to that show this past week. He calls it, you know, Steve Hackett Genesis Revisited because he does a solo set and then he does something Genesis related for the second set. In this case, he played the entire live album, the Seconds Out album, which Ooh. was incredible because nice. They did the full version of Supper's Ready and all sorts of good, like Gabriel era, early Phil lead vocal era stuff. And Steve Hackett just, he truly is one of the most underrated guitarists in the world. It's a great show. Had a lot of fun. Anything Genesis, Genesis related for me is just musical heaven, you know? Secondly would be uh, the album, The Mountain by Haken. And I'm that actually you probably learned more about before I did. I get into Haken a little bit more with the album that came afterwards, Affinity. But man, the mountain's really good. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's great. Really, really good. And then third for me is the album from Big Wreck. 
a band I would love for you to get into, and that is uh, the Albatross 2013. And of course, led by, again, underrated, uh, Ian Thornley, frontman of Big Wreck, very underrated group. Awesome, awesome band. And see, that brings us to Queensryche's Empire. We're going to get into the nerdy deeds under cheap. And the first thing we're going to look at is the very interesting year that this album came out in. So keeping things moving here on episode 74, let's get into the nerdy deeds under cheap. Let's go. You want some dirty deeds? Yeah. You want some dirty deeds? All right, here we go. So Empire is the fourth album from Queensryche. Released here on August 20th of 1990. You and I were 10 years old. Mm-hmm. Little wee lads. T, can I share with you the top albums of 1990? Oh, <laughs> yeah. This, this is, we've talked a little bit about, this was that like super weird era, post hair metal and sort of new wave and pre-grunge where it was just so weird, you know, like. I'm expecting a lot of R&B and a lot of boy band. So go ahead. Let's get, let's have it. You're totally right. It, 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 I think it truly is one of the strangest years in music history, but you know, (laughs) here's the top albums. Okay. And again, think about this all show. Here are your top albums of 1990. First, but seriously by Phil Collins. Okay. We're good with that. Second girl, you know, it's true. Millie Vanilli. Of course we're good with that. Oh yeah. Go back and listen to the Millie Vanilli episode. Mm-hmm. Here's where things get a little uh, telling. Forever Your Girl by Paul Abdul. Okay. Bonnie Raitt's Nick of Time. At least she played an instrument, right? True. Cyanate O'Connor. <laughs> Cyanate. With I Do Not Want What I Haven't Got. Shout out to Phil Hartman there. Yeah. A little album called Please Hammer Don't Hurt Him. Oh, Do I yeah. even need to say who that one was by? No. MC Hammer. Sure. Step by Step. The smash release from New Kids on the Block. And mm-hmm. KOTB. Yep. And rounding out 1990 was the months of November and December being absolutely dominated by To the Extreme from Vanilla Ice. Wow. What a, what a year. <laughs> Enter Queensryche with the fourth album of its, to this point, really interesting career. They had hit quite a creative pinnacle with the album Operation Mind Crime, which, you know, right now is sort of seen as one of the classics of the 1980s and in the metal scene. Concept album, very progressive, sort of those things. So Empire followed that. So the group was riding pretty high, but still a relatively new band, of course. The album is produced by a familiar name to Two Twins in an album, though you're going to have to dig through the bowels of our episodes to hear it, because the last time you would have heard this name is highly likely is the Rush Counterparts episode with producer Peter Collins, who produced Empire. And you might now be going, oh, now I see why it sounds like that. Because there, there's a very signature Peter Collins sound, a lot of reverb on the drums and very, very tight guitars and high low end in the bass and guitars and you can hear that in empire so peter collins produced uh you know obviously a huge part of 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 the story of this album queen's personnel it remained pretty steady until things really started going awry a few years later lead vocalist jeff tate with that signature high-pitched voice guitarist chris degarmo and michael wilton you know one of the again more kind of overlooked guitar duos 
uh, in rock, but, you know, excellent, excellent musicians, especially Chris DeGarmo. I mean, his songwriting is such a huge part. Eddie Jackson on bass and then another kind of key player, Scott Rockenfield on drums. That's considered kind of the classic lineup. Anything with DeGarmo and Wilton together is sort of seen as like Queensryche's classic lineup. This would not stay together for that much longer or things would start to fall apart. Singles. So there, there's actually one glaring omission from the four singles that were released from the album. And I was shocked. I couldn't believe it because I would have guessed that the lead single was a song that actually was not a single. But anyway, the first song released was Empire, followed by Best I Can, which is the opening track. Third is Silent Lucidity. Break out the Kleenex once we get to that part of the show. And the fourth single is, it might be the most successful. It's certainly among them is the third track, which is Jet City Woman. No, another rainy night, huh? Exactly. Interesting. Exactly. Huh. Giant radio hit here in the Detroit market. It was huge. Yeah. Wasn't a single. Hmm. Isn't it weird to say Jet City Woman without saying Jet City? You know what I mean? It's one of those song <laughs> titles that like, so it's a melodic title. Totally. Like it feels so strange to rigidly say Jet City Woman, but... <laughs> So uh, the album was pretty highly praised. I mean, you look at it in the context of the 1990 that we just rifled off. It's, it certainly had a unique place. Hit number nine in the U.S. Billboard 200 chart, which is incredible considering that Queensryche was such a artsy kind of band. You know, that is incredible. I, and I wouldn't have guessed that. It, it's, I mean, on a, what a tough year to be a metalhead. I mean, I, you know, good to know. And I'm sure this band did a lot for the metal type audience, albeit more proggy and more technical and those things, but you know, the metalheads out there must've been thirsting for this all of 1990 and kind of nice that they delivered. It's a great point. I mean, it, it really is a, it's an outstanding story in terms of the success of, of this album and this band, because on one extreme, you have guns and roses and the other extreme, you have Paul Abdul and Queensryche is neither of those things at all. I mean, sure, they they play distorted electric guitars, but that's about as far as they go in terms of Guns N' Roses comparisons. Yeah. And they sure as hell were not anything poppy. Um, so it makes it all the more remarkable that the album did achieve triple platinum status in the U.S. By 1994, it had sold three million records. Very successful album. Took Queensryche to the highest heights commercially. Well, and MTV must have helped them out a lot. I mean, Silent Lucidity was on MTV constantly, you know. Yeah, it's a good call. The video was good to these guys. The album would lead to great heights and then a great fall. So fast forward past the album's promised land and here in the now frontier, Michael DeGarmo leaves the band, citing all sorts of differences, creative differences and personality differences. But it's clear that these guys really didn't get along. There were always rumors that Jeff Tate was a very, very, very difficult guy to work with. And everything started falling apart at that point. The band put out a string of pretty terrible albums. I mean, the, the late 90s and the early 2000s were not good to Queensryche. The, you know, the songwriting kind of went to hell. And they brought in Kelly Gray, who's a great guitarist, but just wasn't the same as this original lineup. Jeff Tate is eventually fired from the band that he fronts. Jeff Tate had... Ouch. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Jeff Tate, had, he had brought in a bunch of family to have official roles within the band. Like his, his daughter ran something and his wife ran this. And then there was an ex-wife and it was just very weird. And the band just finally said enough is enough. We're kind of tired of dealing with this guy. Mm -hmm. So Queensryche fired Jeff Tate. 
they went out and got uh, Todd Latore, who's an excellent, good, you know, vocalist. He was in Crimson Glory, and Todd Latore became, you know, the new voice of Queensrÿche. But Jeff Tate continued as Queensrÿche. So for a good few years, you had two Queensrÿches. You had a Queensrÿche fronted by Todd Latore and the original members, and then you had Jeff Tate and a bunch of new guys touring as Queensrÿche as well. They went to court. They ironed out some details. So the way it panned out is that the Todd LaTorre version actually carried the Queensryche name. So right now, if you go see Queensryche, you see Michael Wilton and Todd LaTorre and a few other guys. If you go see Jeff Tate, he was awarded the rights to the names Operation Mindcrime. So that's what he calls his project, the name of the famous Queensryche album. And then Tate is allowed to perform Operation Mindcrime in its entirety, which the band is not. That was part of the settlement. It's actually kind of forward thinking for Jeff Tate. He knew that like playing albums was going to be a thing. So he tours as Mind Crime or Operation Mind Crime or Jeff Tate's Mind Crime or whatever he calls it. And then he's able to perform that album. Queensryche tours as Queensryche, new singer. And the last few albums that they've done with Todd Latour are really, really good. They, they've kind of got, you know, back in, back on track a little bit of just kind of being a cohesive band and, and very, very good albums, very critically acclaimed and, a lot of the longtime fans have enjoyed them. So that's kind of how this whole thing panned out. So TM, I want to get into your wonder story about Queensryche as we get into the wonder stories. T, what is your Queensryche story? I, you know, I think... If I'm not mistaken, I think that um, we went to the show, which was a few years later, you know. You were at that, right? At first, I thought maybe I went alone. Okay. 1997, that's the Here in the Now Frontier Tour. For sure. And, you know, we could drive by then. So, you know, maybe it seemed like you were by yourself, but really, you're just with me. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So, I remember, though... It was like a night with Queensryche, right? And so they, I remember they started early and they played for a really long time because I remember them playing sort of a nice fill of songs from Empire kind of early. And then later in the night, I believe they got into more of their sort of longer pieces and these type of things. And, you know, they were impressive. I remember kind of thinking like, because, you know, we were seeing a lot of bands then that you know, this was sort of like new metal was starting to come on and grunge was starting to tail off and, you know, bands were still keeping it pretty simple. Um, you had gotten into the prog thing and we'd gotten into rush and some of these things, but I had never seen a metal band. I mean, you mentioned Haken earlier. They're, they're similar in my view now, very technical, but I had never seen a, a metal band be that precise, technical, skilled, right? And it was, uh, it was pretty cool. It was pretty different. Now you went on to really kind of get into that genre. I appreciate the genre, but I'm not like as big of a fan of kind of the, um, precision sort of metal proggy ish thing. But I remember the concert being cool. I remember it being like a really nice night. And, uh, the other thing that's funny about these guys is like, I get them and dream theater, like mixed up all the time like all the time like in fact <laughs> yeah yeah I, I could see that 
there's the what's the one dream theater set pull pull me under i don't know the either band that well but is it pull me under i yes. was like i thought that was queens until like a couple hours ago and <laughs> and, like, and then I, I think i looked it up i was like because i was going to talk about you know I thought I thought that that was a hit previous to Empire or after Empire or something. And I was like, oh, shit, it's not even the same band. So I'm kind of like, like, I forget that John Petrucci, like, didn't play guitar for Queensryche. It was Dream Theater, you know, and, you know, I don't you know. Well, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this, too. I mean, how how cross do your wires really get? I mean, you have a hard time. You have pretty hard time determining between the two. Well, I don't know either band terribly well. I mean, this was the first time I had heard Empire top to bottom. And I don't even know if I've ever listened to like an entire Dream Theater album. You know, I've heard a lot, you know, decent amount of their stuff. So, yeah, I I think it's it's pretty, pretty prevalent that I get yeah. the, the two mixed up. Yeah, sounds like <laughs> uh, sure. we should test just how. Oh, are you aware of this already? Wires get. Okay. Yeah. You've mentioned this before. Okay. All right. So today on episode 74, you did a game, buddy. We are going to play. Is it Queensryche or is it Dream Theater? (laughs) T, hit the game show music. Let's go. All right. Let's do it. And now here on Two Twins in an Album, we welcome you. To the game show that's sweeping the nation. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Queensryche or Dream Theater. <laughs> Yay! Here's your host, Nubs. Yeah! Frog nerd who loves them both, Nubs. <laughs> Are right, you ready? Nice intro. Yeah. Yeah. See, I've got go. 10 clips. I mean, you might as well flip a coin, but you know, You're let's do it. Right. <laughs> right, right. You just simply have to tell me, is it Queensryche or is it Dream Theater? All right. Okay. All right. 50, 50 shot. All right. So are you ready for All right, I'm ready. number one? Are and you? I'll keep, and I'll keep score. So basically, so you're playing a clip and I guess which one it is. Yes. All right. You got 10 of these. I got 10. I got 10. All right. Go for it. Here's clip number one. Here we go. Is that Queensryche or Dream Theater? I'm going with Dream Theater. And what made you guess that? Uh, it just sounded like very whimsical. Whimsical? Okay. Yeah. You are one for one. That is Dream Theater. All right. Okay. That's the song New Millennium. All right. Off the Falling Into Infinity album. All right. All right. All right. I mean, you know, it is a 50-50 chance. I'm not like a, you know, genius or anything, you know? Well, here... Is number two. Here we go. Okay. T, is that Queensryche or Dream Theater? I'm going with Queensryche. Early Queensryche. You're two for two. It is Queensryche, but it's not early Queensryche by any means. That's from oh. that's from the last album they did with Jeff Tate. Oh dear. Okay. Yeah. It sounded, I mean, not that I know, but that, that sounded like vintage. 
<laughs> it was like poorly produced and stuff. So okay. right, 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 right. Yep. That that was Queen's right. You're two for two. They went the other direction. They started with like the most polished production ever. And then later in their career, I apparently like we're recording with a four track. All right. So you're two for two. I don't know what you're talking about. You're like a freaking expert at this. So <laughs> well, you may have started with the easy ones. Jeez. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Number three, Queensryche or Dream Theater? Here we go. T, is that Queensryche or Dream Theater? I'm going to go Dream Theater. And why would you go Dream Theater on that one? Uh, the support. <laughs> the support. No, um, I would say because it sounded a little more sharp, a little more me- sort of metally. Okay. It sounded maybe like John Petrucci was playing it. Maybe. That was Dream Theater. You're three for three. Oh, dude, killing it. As I am. That's off train of thought. That's like one of the heaviest Dream Theater albums. I would have been good with like three total. So this is great. <laughs> well, you're three for three. I mean, you're just, you're just crushing it right now. All right, T number four. You ready? Yeah. All right, T. Queensryche or Dream Theater? That one's really hard because it's very it's technical in a dream theater way, but it's also like sort of like driving and and a little raw, like in a in a more Queensryche way. This this is I'm just basically guessing on this one, but because of the like double bass and the like sort of off time stuff, I'm just gonna go with Dream Theater. You are unstoppable right now. Yes. That was nice. all bl- that was blind faith. That was a hard one though. Well, that was good. That, that could have gone either way. That could have gone either way. Well, you're just trucking along now. Number five. Striker Dream Theater team. That sounds a lot production wise, at least like tonight's album. So I'm going to go with Queensryche. Yeah, that's Queensryche for sure. That's that's actually one of their that's probably their biggest hit heading into Empire. That's called Eyes of a Stranger. So you are five for five. I think you sold yourself a little short here, buddy. I don't know. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, now it's time for number six. You must be feeling very confident about your song. I am. Suddenly I am. Yes. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, here is number six. Like or dream theater T another kind of tough one. Um, 
sounded maybe like Petrucci on the wah. So I'm going to go dream theater. That's correct. Yes. That's voices off of awake. Wow. Six of six. Wow. Rolling. See, see if we're going to stump you at all. I mean, my I know. Come on. Jeez. Trying. I think you've been listening to so much Queens right this week that now you're just, you know, you know what to look for, you know? Probably, Maybe you probably listen to more Queens right this de- week than your whole life combined. So it far. definitely helped like two songs ago. Like that one was pretty, pretty obvious, you know? Yeah. But, uh, but no, the rest of them, not, I'm just, I mean, I'm mostly guessing, but all right, here you go. Queens or dream theater. Number seven. Let's go. Is that Queensryche or Dream Theater? See, it's like pretty straightforward, which makes me want to say Queensryche, but you could have done that in order to sort of steer me in the wrong direction. If it's Dream Theater, it sounds like old Dream Theater. I'm just going to go Queensryche. That is Sign of the Times, the last hit single by Queensryche. Oh my God. Off here in the Not Frontier. I got to go to Vegas. You want to go tonight? <laughs> you got to hit the roulette wheel for sure. Oh my God. Seven, seven of seven. Which and I don't us- know. I, I swear. I, I don't know these songs. I, I don't, I haven't recognized one song. Believe me. Believe oh, me. Tr- trust me. You, the, you would never, I, I guarantee you've never heard. Are these, these deep cuts? Are these fairly deep cuts? I mean, you know, neither band really has hits. I mean, I, I say that was a hit. Sign of the Times was, you know, moderate. Yeah. I mean, if you ask fans of the band, they'd know them, but you're not. I feel kind of stupid for not knowing the difference. Clearly, there's a difference. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Here's number eight. Here we go. Here's number eight. Or a dream theater. They both had keyboardists, right? Um, my first instinct was dream theater. So I'm just going to go with it. That is Erotomania by dream theater. <laughs> Dude, am I going to get them all? I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't. You, I, you're on the right track. That one was actually kind of hard. I, I, I was very split down the middle on that one. Yeah, that's an instrumental off of uh, Awake. Sounded cool. I liked it. You would, I mean, it wouldn't hurt you to get into a little dream theater. Yeah, I will after, after this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're, they're an incredible band, especially, you know, I I could tell you what to avoid. There's, you got to avoid certain, (laughs) certain parts of the catalog, but that album awake is classic for sure. All right, man. Number nine. Let's see if you can remain perfect. All right. Nine. Here we go. Queensryche or Dream Theater? Queensryche. Not only did I finally get you, oh, 
but <laughs> dream theater fans right now are losing their minds. <laughs> Damn it. That's metropolis. It's easily dream theaters. Most that, that was a good, that was a good pick because the production on that does sound a little bit empire. What, what album is that on? It's on images and words with pull me under their first, their, their second album, but their first like, okay. Two. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that was a good that was a good one. That got me because the production sounded a little bit like Empire. So I, I, I very intentionally chose that one because I agree. Like everything sounds like Empire and Operation Mindcrime on that one Damn. for sure. Damn. Hey, hey, I was too good for my own good, right? <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> All right. Well, you're eight for nine. You're still performing just absolutely wonderfully. Yes. So that means that we can wrap it up with. Clip number 10, the last and final clip of this hot new game show. We're about to get picked up by all the major networks. Oh, yeah. We're going to be airing on uh, CNN Plus. (laughs) This actually would get better ratings than most (laughs) of the things did on CNN Plus. Queensryche or Dream Theater? Dream Theater. That is IMI off the album Promised Land by Queensryche. Oh, man, I screwed it up at the end, huh? (laughs) Finished on a sour note. All right, well, that was good. Good job. You were eight for 10. You did very, very well. Just when I started getting all full of myself, you know, I I go on a (laughs) losing streak there at the end. But uh, we confirmed that you're not a fan of either band. (laughs) <laughs> and we also confirmed that I think there's a dream theater fan in there somewhere. Anything else in your wonder story to you? That's it, buddy. I'm throwing it back to you. Nice game. Cool. So yeah, my earliest Queensrigg memory is actually uh, our older brother, uh, Snots. Um, oh yeah. Uh, very poorly playing silent lucidity on the uh, guitar. <laughs> Do you remember this? On his uh, Kramer. His Kramer. It was like one Kramer. of the first songs he learned. And I remember I he, he, I do he, actually remember that. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, what's that? And he, oh, it's Queensryche silent. And he couldn't say lucidity and neither could I it was silent lu- lucidity or something like that. Like, oh, it's silent lucidity. Ludicity is what I always used to say. Lu- ludicity. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Something like that. I was always screw it up. Detroit radio was pretty good to Queensryche. You know, they, especially the hits off of empire. I mean, these songs were, Radio staples. I remember hearing them a lot. We talked about it on TV earlier, but this sound, this band always kind of lived with me, you know, through the nineties. And we went to the show, really enjoyed that promised land, which is a follow up to empire was an album. I still really love. And then kind of just like fell out of favor with them. Once all the crap started happening. And once there were two Queens Rikes, I was like, okay, I'm done, but I will always, you know, treasure this band as a really important prog metal group. I mean, you kind of touched on it there. They're really pioneers. Mind Crime in 88, this in 1990. So you got to respect a band that was this individual at the time when Paul Abdul and MC Hammer were dominating the airwaves. So I do, I, I do remember for some reason, uh, you know, you, you, go, you go spend some time in the storage room and uh, dig out some of the old cassettes. I do remember this cassette for some reason because it had the, the label, like the paper on both sides. Of the cassette exactly. before they started doing that with the two holes. 
Yep. Great memory. Yep. And uh, yeah, I remember I didn't actually listen to it, obviously, but uh, I remember that this being a popular cassette. All right, T, well, let's uh, put the record on and drop the needle and let's take Queensryche's Empire track by track. Let's drop the needle. All right, see, Empire kicks off with the Chris DeGarmo written Best I Can. Right away, just Queensryche always playing with cut time, double time, cool little interludes, really thoughtful keyboards. It, it's it's essentially a straight ahead rocker with these sort of prog flourishes in the verses and in, in the intro, but kind of gets it off to a bit of a driving start, doesn't it? Yeah, uh, definitely. I think it's a nice start to this one and uh, definite proggy, right? I mean, you're you're getting layering, and you know this was at a time where like having a keyboard player in your band could be kind of lame, right? Like I remember like Bon Jovi had it and, you know, yeah, definitely. a few others, but yeah. it kind of wasn't cool at the time to have a keyboard player, but for what these guys were doing and the fact that it, it became so prominent and, and so featured in such a key layer um, as it did for a lot of these sort of, more technical metal type groups throughout the nineties. These were the type of bands that sort of made uh, having someone on keyboards kind of cool, you know? And, uh, and I think that, you know, best I can is a nice way to introduce that very important layer of the Queensryche sound, which is very produced and very lush, of course. Uh, Yeah. I think it's a very, very nice starter. You know, you don't want to come in too hot on something like this. And obviously there are opportunities throughout the record where they knew they were going to have radio hits and they knew they were going to have MTV hits. So I think it starts it off. Well, they continue with the kind of proggy edge with track two, the thin line. guys could really write choruses you know their verses weren't always outstanding but man everything always built towards a big chorus and a lot of interesting things going on musically during those choruses i think this is where jeff tate's vocals which they just soar you know he's got a great chorus voice because he can really lift and and kind of let it go so yeah thin line is is uh you know i think i think it captures a lot of what people love about queen's right for sure yeah. And it doesn't sound like outdated, right? Like it's, there's a lot of production. There's a lot of vocal layering and harmonies and those things, but it it sounds fairly modern vocally, right? Like it's, it's not like that cock rock, like high pitch sort of for the sake of it thing. He's got kind of a gritty um, element to his voice. Although, I mean, he gets up there pretty good. Right. Um, but, but, but you're not, right. There's soul to it though. Yeah, yeah. 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 I agree with that. You know, they do get, nice and hooky on this record quite a bit, which 
obviously with a band like this to make them, you know, not so technical to where you're lost because, you know, and for the rock audience around this time, you know, people were still keeping it pretty simple and you're coming right off a of hair metal, which kept it as simple as anything. So you didn't want to get too intricate. You still needed melody. You still needed hooks. And, you know, I think, uh, you know, you can tell from really the first handful of songs on this, that you're going to get that. Speaking of hooky, let's do it, man. Jet City woman. Let's go. I love this song, dude. Like <laughs> what a jam. I don't know. I don't know if you're even a quarter uh, as enthusiastic about it as I am. Yeah. Yeah. I, but dude, what yeah. a freaking jam. So I remember them playing. I remember the concert we were at. They, they played this early, you know, and I remember at the time being like, all right, like I know this song and you know, I remember hearing that on the radio on WLLZ or whatever. Right. And, you know, and then like 10 years ago, I didn't really rediscover empire. I didn't really rediscover Queensryche, but I rediscovered this song. Cause it's like, yeah, I remember them playing at the head of the concert and listened to it again. And it like became part of my playlist, like heavy, heavy playlist rotation for me. And uh, more so than any of the other songs uh, on this record or any other Queensryche song. So yeah, it's again, this holds up great. Like this is a well done, well recorded song with some neat licks, uh, some really cool layering, some great vocal harmony. And um, yeah, man, this this song's awesome. I think that this one probably holds up as well as anything on the record, you know, and, and it's easy to say it was a single and it's catchy and all these type of things, but really, really well done. In Maestro, you picked a great clip. I mean, the, the pre-chorus, you know, part when Jeff Tate singing that weed. And then, then, I mean, it's a beautiful melody. Just think about like the melody itself, do, 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 the way that builds and lifts the guitars, what they do right before that chorus comes in. De, do, do, wow. I mean, it's just, there's so many cool textures on this album. The, there are. And it's a really neat drum part too. Cause it would have been really easy for him to just go do, do, but he's doing that off thing with the, on the ride bell, which is really neat and, uh, and brings a little bit of a groove to it. I get a little bit of a halftime shuffle going in there. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. Um, but, uh, great yeah, middle section with a guitar solo too. Yes. Killer solo. Yeah. Very good. Very good. And even the intros neat where you're kind of getting the hi hat and that bass chugging thing going on. It's pretty neat. It's a great tune. Super like roll the windows down, play it loud. Yeah. Summer song. So, yeah, I mean, it, you know, the album just gets off to a terrific start with those three songs. And then your fourth track is Della Brown. To make her smile again. I like the background vocals. I like some of the layers. To me, though, the song, it, it's, this is probably why people who hate Queensryche hate Queensryche. Because <laughs> it just, 
you know, it settles into this sort of groove. It almost seems like they're over, overthinking it a little bit. Not, not my favorite on the album for sure. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you, you can't, you can't keep up the pace of the first three forever. I mean, it's, it, it does seem maybe like it was a little calculated to sort of bring this down. It's pretty long. I mean, it's, it's over seven minutes. It's a nice breather after a, a pretty blazing start in terms of energy and tempo and those type of things. So kind of wish it wasn't seven minutes, but I sort of get, you know, why this is track four. Track five, another hit. And one that took decades to grow on me. I'll tell you about it. Another rainy night. I think it was that it was overplayed. Which is interesting because, again, we covered it in the Nerdy Deets and the song was not a single. But I think Detroit I still, Radio... I still can't believe that. I, I, dude, I know. Yeah. I, I think Detroit Radio played Another Rainy Night more than any song off Empire. Yeah. And it for me, it became a little overplayed. I didn't like it. And even when I kind of would rediscover the album and pull it back out and listen to it again, this song would be like a you know, it'd be like a filler song for me until really recently. In fact, when I was kind of listening to this just in the last few weeks to kind of think about doing an episode on it. Now I get it. It's like, Oh, it's a pop song. Like it's a true pop song that they do. And it's, it's very, very good. Yeah. I mean, his vocals on this record are pretty awesome. You know, these are are not easy songs to sing either. Now, there's a lot of layers. There's a lot of multi-track. There's a lot of harmonies. I mean, it's not, you know, him out there uh, all by himself, making it sound amazing, but you know, the, the vocal parts and the way the voice treats the music on this is excellent. And for metal prog, that can be hard. I mean, you, you mentioned Haken. There's some Haken stuff where it's like, couldn't you just not sing? Cause it would have been better. But I think, you know, a song like this, um, not an easy vocal. And, uh, and one that really works. So yeah, another example of, I think Jeff Tate's voice being really, really good fit for these songs on empire. It's almost like they're too good for their own good. I tell you what, his name's not empire, but track six name is (laughs) empire. Probably the song that is single-handedly responsible for me still loving Queensryche is Empire. This is the one that kind of I rediscovered and went, oh, like this song's amazing. You played a good clip. It's got a lot of production. You know, it's got that low empire. Like, you know, it's very produced. But the middle section to me is magical. When it breaks down, you got that talking voice in the background and the keyboards come in and then that just monster guitar solo. You know, I, I think Empire is a very unique work of art in terms of a metal song. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, it's it's very, uh, th- this is probably as basic as it gets in terms of, I mean, that's a riff that you could come up with if you've been playing guitar for like a year, you know? So there's nothing fancy about it, which there's something nice to that because sometimes, you know, these guys would get a little, um, I mean, very musical group, but sometimes it, you know, 
do it for the sake of doing it. So it was always nice to hear them kind of just strip down and go sort of hard charging. And while there's a lot of uh, production elements and those type of things to this title track, ultimately it's a pretty straightforward kind of riffy, you know, sort of palm mute metal type deal on the deal here. And yeah, I think it, you know, middle of the album, stick the title track, pretty anthemic, you know, and pretty familiar, you know, this came on and I was like, uh, I was like, oh yeah, I remember that, you know? So um, yeah, it's good. Track seven, which I didn't get on the vinyl. I don't know if you flip it after empire. I don't know. It doesn't say, but uh, I do have this album on vinyl, but you know what? It's too far away. I don't want to walk that far to get it. It's certainly on side two if it doesn't kick it off. And that is resistance. Great drumming by Scott Rockenfield. Yeah. Cool rhythmic stuff. Not the strongest composition, but it's hard charging. You know, it's kind of Queen's right doing a little up-tempo thing, which is not how most of Empire is made up. This album has a little bit of under the table and dreaming syndrome. And I mean that in a good way, in that every song has a section that grabs you a little, you know, so you don't like all the verses. You don't like all the choruses. You don't like all the middles. You don't like all the pre-choruses. You don't like all the outros, certainly. But I feel like every tune, and and I think that was the the right section of resistance, that sort of pre-chorus bridge type piece, seems like they were thoughtful about putting something in each song that either took you in a different direction or had some neat layering or had some cool melody or whatever it may be. And it's not like overly commercial or anything, but just every song needing to have something that's a little bit hooky, whether that's musically, whether that's a vocal line, whether that's a kick-ass chorus. It, it was a lot of different things, but it seems like you can always find one section that you like. I don't love resistance, but I do like that bridge section before the chorus quite a bit. Yeah. Maestro uh, on your game tonight here with the clips, because he definitely chose the best part of the song. Good luck choosing the best part of track eight. Easily the band's biggest hit. I can't gush about this song any more than I already have. So <laughs> track eight, Silent Lucidity. Oh, you said it right too. Nice job. Yeah, thanks, man. All week, I've been dying for this moment. T, tell us your thoughts on Silent Lucidity. Yeah, I mean, well, it's gorgeous. Uh, you know, it's funny. Um, you kind of like got sick of this song when you were younger, but not for the right reasons. It was just like you sort of hear the guitar intro and then you like change the channel. And you shouldn't because this is sort of an epic and this is something that builds I think you made a great point earlier, though. You you really don't get the full effect of this unless you're listening on CD on good speaker. Like if you're listening on laptop speakers or something like or like shitty headphones, like it's not going to come through. But 
if you're getting the low end, great call on the Michael Kamen orchestration, obviously he knew how to put orchestration upon metal, I think as well as anybody. These are the type of songs that make doing this show fun is, is that you give them another sort of revisit and you give them sort of a fair chance and you look at them differently and you realize that, man, when you listen to this in the right setting with the right sound elements, it's really an incredible song. I now see what the appeal was and why it was such a big hit. It's, it's a beautiful, you know, metal ballad and very dynamic, you know, very dynamic. The middle section with the guitar is just really, really pretty and sort of shifts in terms of key and progression. You know, that chorus with the oohs and ahs is just striking. Yeah, man, you got a you got a believer here. That was a it was a neat one to I probably hadn't listened to this song in a very long time. It's pretty amazing. It's it's one of the better metal ballads, uh, if you will, of all time. Could we add this to the, you know, two twins in the album? So our sort of Mount Rushmore that we have developed of, you know, we, we don't use the word perfect a lot because we are talking about art, but I think it's a perfect song. I just can't think of anything they could have done differently from the intro to the outro to the guitar solo. The orchestration by Michael Kamen is, is just incredible. I mean, it just adds such emotion to it. Yeah. But I don't know. Is it perfect song? Oh, I think you could make an argument for it. I mean, it's produced perfectly. The dynamics, you know, are pretty tough to beat. You consider where this song is at its peak and then where it is when you're basically just hearing the acoustic piece memorable melodies you got beautiful progressions uh yeah i think there's an argument to be made on that one for sure buddy chris DeGarmo wrote it himself also played the guitar solo just kind of shows you the the value that he brought to queens reich and uh kind of what happened to the band after he left you know most people will say that after DeGarmo was gone it really wasn't queens reich anymore and you could certainly hear that yeah it just it's a you know it's an all-time great for me for sure. So, you know, you guys got to look at the song after the song. And in this case, it's track nine with Hand on Heart. can make the argument this is the best of the album tracks it almost sounds like a single I and mean, it's very catchy it's got a great chorus you know verses build nicely into it very accessible right but also great performances too but I, this would have been one of those where i would have guessed you would have really really liked it i don't know why but your 80s metal taste tends to to have some ingredients to it that i i think hand on heart fulfills so that's my guess could be wrong confirm or deny uh, deny actually. So I, I think that, uh, I mean, this could be a Richard Mark song. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah. this is, this is like pretty cookie cutter in terms of, uh, I mean, it's good. It's not like it's terrible or something, but like, this is really poppy, you know, like th this, you know, you could even, um, you know, reverse the halftime of the drums. And if you were going up tempo with it, this, you know, and you put a, a few electric drums and since this could, this could have been like an adult contemporary type song, you know? So yeah, right. Yeah, right. I, I, agree, think, yeah. I mean, I think it's okay. It's uh, probably, it's a good sign for an album. If this is like one of the sort of weaker spots, a little predictable as you're going through it, 
and also sort of cookie cutter like this. This is the only song really on the whole record to me that sounds like 1990, you know? So, um, yeah, I actually think it's kind of a weak spot. It's, it's surprising because, you know, my thought was if Benny Mardones can do it, T's going to like it. Well, if, if that was Benny, it'd be like <laughs> one, of, one of my favorites. You know? right. but, uh, no, it's, it's actually pretty comparable. Like this sounds like it could have been on, uh, on Benny yeah. Mardones's blue album, which is it, fantastic. By the way, It does. And I know how much you love it. Oh sure. God. Yeah, I know how much you like mine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> All right. We're getting towards the end of empire with track 10. And that is one and only. Yeah, <laughs> there's the dual guitar attack of DeGarmo and Wilton. Pretty proggy, I would say. Period. Really, here at the end of the really good. Yeah, that's a nice entry back into the vocals there. Yeah, I, yeah, that's a, it's quite a jam, really. Yeah, Maestro is just on his game. I mean, that's that's one of the <laughs> better moments of the album is that entrance, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, great dynamics. Great dynamics on the whole album, but picking spots on this record is very easy. Right. I mean, there's, I do think that it was built very thoughtfully in that way. So actually it's, it was a fun uh, record to Maestro because they really did a great job of making sure that there's at least one section in there that is going to be appealing to somebody. Well, see, I'll just tell you this. When it comes to Maestro's, you are my one and only. Oh, buddy. Okay. (laughs) All right. right. Nice. Thank you. Thank you. I, and I actually, I actually am your one. I don't do this for anyone else. So yeah, <laughs> yeah, I am yeah. your one and only. Yeah, <laughs> Track 11 is a question that, uh, that I ask every time we publish a show. <laughs> it's like, I'm almost like the Mitch Hedberg, you know, I was sitting alone cause I had just done a show, <laughs> <laughs> but empire wraps up in quite the epic way with a question. And that is, Anybody listening? it's fair to say empire is properly sequenced and this is sort of how the album should end with this sort of epic you know mid-tempo huge track as it's trailing off there you hear those those gigantic guitars yeah. that kind of take you home it also did you notice seeing the intro and outro it, it, it takes advantage of the do 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 it's got the same melody as silent lucidity i'm not yeah. sure if that was conscious or not but it, it's exact same melody in the intro and outro on acoustic and uh yeah, i think it's a nice big closer yeah eight minutes it's it's what it, it's what you should do right and and uh on a record like this and it's cryptic musically but also takes you home and also you know, kind of has something that's pretty drawn out at the end and pretty uh, sort of has kind of a closer type epic feel to it, which is uh, the way this should wrap up. So 
Yeah. I mean, I think, I think you're right about sequencing. It's very, very appropriate, not just appropriate, but pretty thoughtful. T, let's kind of start to take things home here by asking you the question, did it hold up? What do you think? Yeah, I think it held up pretty well. There are a couple moments where you know that it was 1990, but not a lot. You know, I think it's one that you go top to bottom on and you know, I wouldn't say that it's perfect top to bottom, but I would say that every song um, brings something to the table, a section, um, a, a certain part, a certain piece, a certain sort of memorable hook or whatever it may be. And and so I think it it makes for a great listen in that way. I like that the songs are longer, but they're not out of control, right? You're kind of in that five handle for the most part in terms of, you know, most songs sort of being between five and six minutes. So you don't really feel like at any point it's embellishing or that it's, you know, a song's long for the sake of it. Everything kind of has a direction. It's very precise. You know, I think that this is a precision metal uh, gem, you know, of its time and, and probably one that was fairly early. You know, there weren't a lot of bands like this at this time and new metal and sort of this layered metal type sound that would eventually come th- th- these kind of bands had a lot to do with that and showing that you could play in a very lush way you could be very creative you could be you know technically tight but then also play kind of loose uh in terms of parts and progressions and i think that's what makes it a really unique album of its time it's if you're wanting an early 90s um you know sort of pre-grunge metal group that sort of in a very early sense paved the way for even some of the you know hard rock and heavy metal music that you hear today uh that takes on a lot of lushness and a lot of layering and those type of things and that's what really became i mean you look at creed and you look at you know some of these things that became really popular uh in the even late 90s early 2000s you know a lot of that kind of stuff was i think pulled from and inspired by empire so i think it's an album that had some importance uh in that way and within this genre and again being a metalhead in 1990 you probably glommed onto this quite a bit and i think it's a pretty pretty good album to hug for those type of fans who are probably dying for something to scratch that itch around a time where that was pretty difficult so so yeah i think it holds up pretty well and i think it, it actually you know mattered quite a bit in terms of having some importance what do you think buddy I think it holds up surprisingly well. I attribute it to a few different factors. One is the Peter Collins production. It's got such a sheen to it. It's so crisp. I think the drumming has a lot to do with why it holds up. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. It's it's not like your classic 80s rock drumming at all. And but it's also really big. It's powerful, but it's also kind of melodic. And I think Scott Rockefeller just like captures some rhythms that are really unique. I also think, lastly, that Jeff Tate's voice is identifiable as sort of an 80s thing, but you could never say it's like a cock rock vocal. It's, his voice is very unique. Yes, it's high, but there's nothing ever absurd about it. And you can't say that about most vocalists from hard rock and metal of the late 80s and early 90s. You just can't. But with him, it's like it never loses its credibility, you know? Let's go to the final cutscene. Is Empire on the turntable? Is it in the collection? Is it collecting dust? Or is it headed towards the for sale bin? T, where you got Empire? 
I'm going to put this one in the collection, buddy. And that's probably an upgrade based on what, where I thought this was going to be heading into the episode. Um, I think it, you know, set the tone for what proggy uh, technical precision, which would eventually sort of all be wrapped up into one called new metal eventually later in the decade would become a really good bridge record of bridging from hair metal and even guns and roses and some of these things that were getting a little bit more in the edgy direction, Metallica and those things, but putting a little bit more of a glaze on it in terms of um, progressiveness, in terms of layering, in terms of the keyboard sounds and obviously the drumming, which we just talked about. So I think it's a very thoughtful record. I think it's one that if you listen to top to bottom, you're going to pick a lot of spots, uh, even if they're just individual sections that are pretty memorable and certainly, you know, re-listenable. And I'm going to put it in the collection, man. I think it's, uh, I think it's a, a, an album that has some importance of its time and an album that, as you kicked it off nicely uh, on the episode, um, dropping in 1990 during a time of musical commercial chaos, basically, in terms of what was... Uh, what was selling and what was on the radio and these type of things. It's a band that I've obviously we got a nice dose of being in Detroit, but I think for a lot of people out there during a time where it was tough for rock and roll and it was tough to be a metalhead, you know, a nice drop. And, uh, and I think, you know, I was very pleased with the way it held up. I didn't, wasn't sure if it was going to hold up as well as it did, but uh, I'm going in the collection where you got it. I had an upgrade too. You know, I, I would have told you a week ago that it was in the collection, but I'm going to put it on the turntable because I think that the, you know, there's five legitimate hit songs on it. Amongst those, you've got like three or four, I mean, just terrific hit songs. Empire, Jet City Woman, Another Rainy Night, and Silent Lucidity. I mean, they're about as good as one band could do in a career, let alone one album. I just, you know, and I think top to bottom, the album tracks are interesting. I think you made an excellent comparison, kind of the under the table and dreaming Dave Matthews thing where every song just got some section in it that's compelling. That stuff goes a long way for me. But in the NT, I think why it's on the turntable for me is just good old fashioned, high level musicianship. All five of these guys are tremendous at what they do. They're great musicians, not just great players. They're really, really awesome musicians. And that's sort of a lost thing. We mentioned festival rock earlier. You know, everyone now is like making music to a formula. Queensryche was doing something really individual, very unique. And this album, I think just captures that perfectly. I think it's an important band at its peak. Therefore, on the turntable. Impressed that you had it in the collection. I got to say, I, you know, I, I did not know what to expect from you in this episode, but uh, I'm glad you got some things out of this album for sure. It was a great listen, great choice. And uh, one of those that if you actually take the time to go top to bottom on it, it's a uh, it's pretty nice, pretty nice listen of its time and, and nice, nice even today, 32 years later. Good Lord. So that is crazy. That is. All right. See, let's, uh, Really put the bow on this thing. Yeah, <laughs> Dolores. Ah, ah Dolores. Ah, Dolores again. Ah. Oh, she's she's out of control. She's out of control. <laughs> See, what is in your head? There's a, I mean, I guess we'll stay with this metal thing, but uh, a band Bullet for My Valentine, who has a really good song called Rainbow Veins, 
one that nubs would definitely enjoy if you want to jot that down and check it out something completely different great 80s pop song by a girl group group called sweet sensation and uh, i'm hooked on you yeah yeah. Oh, that is a good song. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great call. Really good. I wasn't sure if it was, you know, Expose or the Jets. It ended up being Sweet Sensation, you know, whatever the hell that is. So. And the third is, uh, let's go with, uh, yeah, you mentioned Oasis. And a song that, like, sort of, like, didn't love, but the last uh, couple years I've grown quite an appreciation for they actually opened the nebworth show with this which was a really cool opener unexpected opener and that's columbia so uh pretty cool song actually when you boil it down what do you got nub what is in your head for me the first one is uh sunny day real estate with rodeo jones actually the live version of it popped up on the old uh phone the other day and i was like gosh that version is so good off the sunny day real estate live album. Second is going to be Shake My Tree, the opening track on an album called Coverdale Page. And then lastly would be uh, one of the Radiohead songs that I really like off of Hail to the Thief. And that is Go to Sleep, parentheses, Little Man Being Erased. I love that tune. Yeah. It's a good record. T, it was fun, man. Just to rock out for a while with you. you yeah, know? man. I, I love the choice. Very good. And, uh, you know, hey, we got this is the beauty of Two Twins and Album. We got Insane Clown Posse, Queensryche, and wait till you see what I got coming up next. Wait, wait till you see what I got up my sleeveless, buddy, for uh, episode 75. It's going to be a good one. Cannot wait. And we hope that you cannot wait to. Like and share and comment and do all the things for us on all the platforms we're on. We're on Podbeam. We're on Apple Podcasts. We're on YouTube. You can also find us on Twitter and Facebook and all sorts of other fun and interesting digital outlets. And we hope that you engage with us, you know, and make a suggestion for an album. We've done some listener requests so far, and we'd love to do another one. So yes, send us your ideas if you want us to cover an album. We would absolutely love to do that for you because here at Two Twins in an Album, we kid because we care. Yeah, we want to provide some full service. Yeah, we're very into full service here. Thanks for tuning in. Take care of yourselves and take care of each other. And we'll see you for episode number 75. What is that? Is that the silver anniversary? The gold anniversary? What is that? Yeah, right? That's 75th. Some kind of milestone. Kind of metal. Yeah. Yeah. But we'll see you for episode number 75 here on Two Twins and an album. Two Twins and an album. Well, that's about it. That's all we have. I hope it wasn't too disappointing. We will see you on tour. Until then, take it easy.